uh, week number two of a series that we started last week uh, called uh, Godly Patterns for Ordinary People. Godly Patterns for Ordinary People. We think of God uh, in certain terms. Even the, even the hymn that we just sang uh, outlines those terms. You know, how great thou art and majesty and power and omnipotence and he's all-knowing he's eternal he's immutable he's holy he's all of these things and so how does that change us and how does the character of God actually enter into the life of a believer so that the way that we live and the patterns that we have start to actually change how does that really happen for many believers, it doesn't happen. <laughs> For many, they kind of stay the same as they always have been, and there's not much transformation that actually happens. A pattern is when we start doing things repeatedly. When we change those things and start doing new things repeatedly, there you have a pattern. So how can those things become more and more godly? And last week, we talked about making God's time your time and I get a number of comments on that uh, you know number your days if you remember redeem the time uh, look for those special God moments those Kairos moments and today we're going to talk about order uh, you don't hear many songs sung about order we don't sing about the order and the organization of God you know organization, 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 no hymns like that, no choruses like that. We often don't focus on that characteristic of God. Uh, that last hymn that we sung touches it a little bit, but we don't often think about that. And some uh, people think that organization and systems and design is actually just a human thing, just something that uh, is invented by man and it actually gets in the way of what God wants to do. When God wants to do something, he just does something impromptu, and there's no organization to it, no system to it. Uh, Jesus even said in John chapter 3, right? Uh, Verily, truly, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to spirit. Uh, sorry, flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. Watch, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. How many of you, you had things blow off your house this week with the wind? Right? Even the sign in the front of this theater, they had issues where the top of it actually blew off and they had to fix it. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, does that mean that we're supposed to just say, well, if we follow Jesus, we just live random and chaotic lives? Because isn't that the way that God is? Well, if you look at the passage, it's not really teaching that. Uh, the wind and the Spirit in that passage is actually the same word. And the idea is that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, they're led by something that's not of this world. They're led by the power of the Spirit that is not predictable by the ways of man, that is not uh, of this world. It's supernatural. They're led by something that's very, very different. It doesn't mean that they're disorganized, and it doesn't mean that God is chaotic. It, it doesn't mean that at all. But some think that these kinds of things are just very carnal and very uh, of the world. Well, when we really start to look at the Scripture, we see quite a... Quite a lot of evidence that God is very, very ordered. Um, God's very nature is ordered. 
uh, when we ask the scripture the question, well, what is God? Uh, we get answers like, well, God is spirit. Uh, God is eternal. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is immutable. He's the beginning and the end, and we discover his nature this way. But when we ask the question to the scripture, well, who is God? We see something rather startling. We see that uh, God is the Father, we see that God is the Son, and we see that God is the Holy Spirit. We see an order there. Uh, we see God is distinctly uh, uh, mentioned as being the Father in many, many places, especially in the New Testament. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is often used as a greeting uh, in the writings of Paul, uh, the Son, the Lord Jesus, is called God. He is also distinctly called God. The John chapter 1, verse 1, as an example, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 there, the Word became flesh. We see this distinctly mentioned. The Holy Spirit is even called God. Uh, I'm going to show you something that you've probably never seen uh, in the scripture before, but the, the, the Holy Spirit is distinctly as well mentioned as God. When we ask who is God, we also see the Holy Spirit there, in particular in matters where God is speaking. I think I've put it on the screen there. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 3 uh, and verse 7. Um, uh, the writer says, so as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes from Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Speaking of the, the rebellion in the desert when the people left the promised land where your ancestors tested and tried me. Uh, through uh, 40 years they saw what I did and this is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. And look at verse 11. So I declared on my, in my anger they shall never enter my rest. So this is the Holy Spirit says according to the writer of Hebrews. And then in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3 he says the same thing but now it's God said. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they, speaking of the disobedient at that time, shall never enter my rest. And we see this quite often with reference to the Holy Spirit. Again, the question, who is God? Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 10, same idea. But God found fault with the people and said, and this again, a quote from the Old Testament. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Uh, it will not be like the covenant with, that I made with their ancestors when I took them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will write uh, my laws on their minds and on their hearts that I will be their God they will be my people again the writer says this is God speaking and then in Hebrews chapter 10 he says it's the Holy Spirit speaking 
the very same passage. Uh, Hebrews 10 verses 15 to 16 quoting the same passage. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says and then he repeats the same thing. So we see this, this question, who is God as answered in? Well, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. We see an order there. We have a word for this. It's found nowhere in the Bible, but we use the word trinity. To describe this, you, again, it's a word you never find in the Bible. The closest word we find is a Greek word that can be translated Godhead. Uh, I've spent many years talking with people of other faiths, other belief systems, uh, Jewish people, Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, about this idea of God being ordered in his nature uh, in the Trinity. And it's a difficult concept to grasp, uh, even for Christians you may struggle with the idea. Think of it this way. God is one what and three who's. You're, you're one what and one who. But God is one what and three who's. That's the best way that I can describe it. What is God? He is spirit. Uh, he is eternal. Who is God? Well, he is the Father, he is the Son, and he is the Holy Spirit. And this has always been a part of historic Christian doctrine. If you read from Genesis to Revelation, you are going to see this order to God, even in his very, very nature. If, if God is ordered, uh, if God's nature is ordered, then we should see, it would make sense, to see order in what he's created. We should see systems in what God has created. We should see design in what God has created. And this is, in fact, exactly what we see uh, creation has a magnificent order to it when you take the time to look at it Romans chapter 1 verse 24 since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities God's eternal power God's divine nature these have been clearly seen the writer says being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What's he saying? He's saying that all of humanity should be able to observe creation and at least say there is a creator. They should be able to. It's not going to tell them that much about who he is, but it's going to say God is real because we see it in what God has made. There is a creation with order, and therefore, he says, the, the author is Paul, people are without excuse because God has clearly revealed that he exists through what he made. Uh, and we see a ridiculous amount of complexity in what God has made. It's almost, it's almost uh, uh, too difficult to describe with words when we look at the design and the order and the complexity and the systems in creation. Some of you work in this type of stuff and you know exactly uh, what I mean. The more we study creation, the more we see evidence that there is a creator and there's an order. It gets controversial, right, when we start asking, well, how did it get there? Uh, did it get there by time or chance? Uh, time and chance? Or did it get there because someone created it? Someone intelligent created it. And this is where of course, the controversy comes. But the more you look at creation, the more you see this design, the more you see evidence of it. Uh, if, you t if you stop and look at it, uh, when, I, when I go to the, to the gym, there's a 24-hour gym across the street from our house, and when I go there and run, 
Uh, I run on just a treadmill. You know, on a treadmill, you got no scenery. You just see the same thing in front of you the whole time, right? I mean, how many of you have run on a treadmill before? Well, don't stop or you'll go off the treadmill. <laughs> you just got to keep, keep one foot going in front of the other. So I'm on this treadmill and I have the same scenery all the time. And, and I watch this flock or whatever you call it of pigeons on this power line uh, in front of the gym. And I watch the order and the design to these pigeons and how they systematically fly off of that wire from time to time and make their way to an adjacent building, which happens to be a, a home. And they go on that roof and they have managed to destroy that roof uh, and the roof had to be replaced because of these pigeons. But whenever they decide that it's time to move and change where they're perching, uh, for reasons known to them and not to anyone else, they all go together and then they all come back and say, wow, these are some smart pigeons. And they cost the people who own that home a lot of money. Well, how did that get there? That seems to be evidence that there's a creator, there's a design there. I had another experience, happens to be with birds as well, where they were making a, a, a very elaborate home in a duct in the building where I live. And I had to deal with these, with these birds. My wife will always uh, has, has kind of looked at me negatively since then because I was a little bit cruel to these birds, you know. And these birds, they, they found a way to take all their little branches and put them into this duct, and they made this home inside this duct in our house. I said, well, it's my house. It's not your house. Get out of my house. So I had to go and make, get on this ladder and remove the, the, the grate of this duct, which, of course, they were intelligent enough to open the little louvers there and, and stick their little bodies in with all of their architecture that they made inside of this duct. And so I had to pull it off, rip their house out of, their, out of the duct, and very quickly cover the hole because they were going to go right back in while I was there and take possession you know, of my, of my home with all of their elaborate architecture and sticks and all of these things. And I said, well, how did that get there? How did these birds manage to outsmart me and, and do this? How, I mean, I, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid, you know, like they, they seem to be smarter than me. And I had to come up with an elaborate scheme so that they could never do it again. And sure enough, I managed to outwit them. Uh, but how is it that they came to this, to this uh, ability? Is it purely time and chance that they, they, they discovered how to do this just all of a sudden? Uh, while, while this is not a, a, a series or a, a message about origins, um, and it's still the theory is still somewhat controversial and laughed at by some of academia, uh, within the last 20 years, there's a, a, verb, a, a phrase that's being used called intelligent design in the scientific community, and it's picked up some steam. And the idea of intelligent design is, well, when we look at the cosmos, we see that there's a design to it, a fabulous design, a marvelous design. How many of you have children in this room? Many of you. So you've gone through the whole process you know, you, you may not have understood what you were doing per se in terms of, you know, everything that's going on there when you have children, but that is a miraculous process. And, and it, it is amazing to me that it works most of the time. It is amazing to me that most babies are actually healthy. 
when you know what's actually going on in that process, uh, there's a lot that could go wrong. It is amazing to me that it works almost every time. A miraculous, miraculous thing. And this speaks, you know, have its way with you. Uh, you're sitting in something that's designed by man. You're listening to something that's designed by man. You're watching something that's designed by man. You are interacting with systems that are designed very, very specifically by us to do a particular thing. You interacted with dozens of them. And if you, drew, if you drive a car, you interacted with thousands of them just by coming here this morning. System after system after system, design, design, design. And if we looked at it, and if you look at even this keyboard that's behind me, or the, the, the lights, or the speakers, or that, that crazy soundboard that seems like it can do anything except, you know, juggle fire, uh, there's design there, and we would, we would laugh at the idea that that just came together by time and chance. We'd say it's impossible. And yet when we look at creation, it's even more detailed than that soundboard. Uh, your brain and the way your brain is designed makes that soundboard look like uh, a rather crude imitation. And yet we laugh at the we would laugh at the idea that they came together by time plus can happen uh, in the created. The trap is composed of five basic pieces. Because we design things and we would God called the hammer. A whole chance, but we seem to not get that that pull it off, rip their house out of their out world. Um, and many of the systems that, that you interact with actually have subsystems to them. They have other things that are going on inside of them to make it all work. And if one of the pieces, one of the, 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 the one button on that board is defective, uh, one, one piece in those lights, one speaks. So I had to go and make, get on this ladder negatively since then because I was a little bit cruel to her uh, behind me. Uh, it, with work. Any of those parts are we must understand the feature of molecular machines. And make sure, okay, we have to troubleshoot a problem. What dial isn't spun? Why is it not working? By nature, these have been clear. Though the theory is still somewhat controversial and understood from what has been made. So birds as well, where they were making a, a of intelligent design. I want to show you a really, really simple example of this. Again, talking about the idea that creation is ordered. Even we create ordered things by looking at a mouse trap. If you would go ahead and play that video. What's going on? What's in the wrong place? What button isn't pushed? What? Basically what it says is that you have work. They all have to be in the right place. Uh, when our sound and video people come in the morning, they have to... ...multi-component parts to any given organelle or system in a cell, all of which are necessary for function. That is, if you remove one part, you lose function of that system. The idea of irreducible complexity can be illustrated by a familiar, non-biological machine. ...of it. Uh, if, you t if you stop and look at it, a treadmill, you know, on a treadmill, you got no scenery. Mice. 
irreducibly complex system must be present simultaneously for the machine to perform its function. All told, there are about 40 different proteins. That people are without excuse. What's he saying? Including the bacterial flagellar motor. A flagellum doesn't work because it's missing the hook or machine parts, which are necessary for this machine to work. Complexity also applies to biological machines. Uh, then either you get explains how you can build or it's missing the drive shaft or whatever, or it doesn't even get built within the cell. In evolutionary terms, you have to be able to explain. So the creation. The system gradually can remind you of the order and the creation has an order to it. Next time you set a mousetrap, uh, think about that video <laughs> that you saw. Even that simple mousetrap. Church is ordered and we station uh, that God has put into place. Not only is God ordered in his nature, not only is creation ordered, but our building, at least temporarily, is a movie. They see this uh, in the scripture as well. And, and please, when we say the word church, we're not talking about a building. Uh, if we were, we would have a lot of issues, right? Because policies, uh, the church is the getter. Uh, it's not a building. It's not a structure. It's not a hierarchy. It's not a set of... And we come together on that idea. And we gathering of people. It's the people who come together and say... Uh, we are here because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He has no middle. He has no end. Gather on that idea. This is the church. And we encourage one another and spur one another on. It's the creation of the world. God's magnificent order to it. When you take the time to look at it. Romans chapter 1 verse 24. Since gets controversial right when we start asking work in this type of stuff and you know exactly he's saying that all of humanity should be in the faith and grow and see new people come into the into the kingdom into the church but this is a gathering of people and we discover in the scripture that there's an order even to that uh, and it's very appropriate it's a human body the church is composed of people, and so Paul uses a human body to describe the simple order of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It would still be there, Paul's saying. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body, would it? If the whole body were an eye, well, where would the sense of hearing be? Very simple illustration. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 
This is the design that God has for the church. The human body is always moving. You've got you to gotta feed it. You've got to grow it. Each part in the human body has to do something. If it's not doing anything, it's broken. If it's not doing what, the, the, what God designed it to be, then the thing is broken. And you've got to go see a doctor. You've got to go fix it. You've got to go have surgery. You've got to take medication, whatever it is. But it's all, every part is doing something. And this is the way that God has designed the church. <laughs> There, there is no such thing as a, a church where people don't do anything. <laughs> Not if you look at the New Testament. I mean, some people's idea of church is, well, uh, I, I'm just showing up and, you know, I, I like the product. And whenever I don't like the product, I'll go to another one. You know, and their impression might be very much like a movie theater. I pay the money. I watch the movie. If I don't like the movie, I go see another movie, you know, or, or maybe I'll try to get my money back or whatever. And so some people's concept of church is the same. It can be a consumer thing. You will not find this in the pages of the New Testament. Even, even this church was brand new, four months old. Every person who, who calls this their church and who's part of even the attendance this morning, God has placed you here for a reason. Even if that reason you think is not that significant, even if what you do is come consistently and smile and encourage somebody, that, that, that is not diminished in the sight of God. It's not about whether or not a person has a, has a title or a job description. It's about every part is there for a reason. God has placed you here for a reason. Can I tell you, in a, in a brand new church, what you have is a... a, is a a ton of opportunity to use some of those gifts and those talents and those abilities that God has given to you. Some of them maybe you were born that way. Some of them it's, it's you, you have this acquired talent or ability or passion or whatever it is. Some of you, you become a Christian and you see that there's things alive in you that weren't alive in you before. Those are gifts and talents that God has given to you and he wants to use you in those things. Can I tell you, we have the most wonderful setting here. It is, uh, it is highly unorthodox for a church to be meeting in a movie theater. It's also highly unorthodox for a church to be meeting in a movie theater on Saturday mornings when it's open to the public. Uh, and what happens is we have people who are outside in that foyer even now, even as I speak, and some of them may even be listening to what I'm saying, and those people have no church experience. Some of them may have no understanding of God, no relationship with God, never picked up a Bible in their life. And we have that opportunity to interact with people who are far from God every single week. There's opportunity for people, especially if you're outgoing and super social and you can interact with people who you don't know, to be out in that foyer, in that corridor all morning just talking to people. Serve them a coffee. Tell them about the church, whatever. You, you would be surprised how open people are. That is a wonderful, wonderful setting, especially because the reason why this church exists is to reach the one who is far from God, far from God. What a wonderful opportunity that is for people who have that kind of wiring. Uh, do you sing? Do you play an instrument? There's plenty of opportunity to get involved. Do you like kids? Even a little? 
<laughs> there's plenty of opportunity to get involved and to take care of some of those kids who are in number five today. You know because you have some of those kids and to help them learn about God in a context that they can understand. Plenty of opportunity. You know, the people here at 7.30 in the morning this morning just taking the gear out of the storage room and bringing it into this theater. That is a, a wonderful, wonderful ministry. This is, this is the, the act of service in God's eyes that is as important, if not more important, than the person who preaches. Because it's an act of service. And this is what Jesus came to do. Uh, we, had, we had a person here who was here at 7.30, and he stayed for 20 minutes, lives close by. And the work that he did, just in those 20 minutes, enabled everybody else to, to start on time. It enabled the musicians to practice. It enabled the sound and the video text to be able to, so you can worship without distraction. So you can have an experience with God without distraction. You see, every one of us is a part of it, regardless of how small you think your role is. Uh, there are people who you may not do anything on a Saturday morning, but you are in prayer for this church. Uh, you give sacrificially toward this church. Uh, I know a person who's not even in the country today. She's in Guyana, uh, a bit of a snowbird, and she'll be back when the, when the weather, you know, warms up. And that person prays and gives sacrificially to this church, even though they're not even in attendance today. Uh, this is what the body of Christ is. This is the design that God has for the church. And he, he does so in a way that isn't confusing. He, this is what he wants uh, he, he, he wants the gifts that are being used and the people who are, who, are, who are using those gifts to run in a way that isn't of confusion, right? The scripture says, for God is not a God of disorder. And in the context there, it's in the spiritual gifts. He's not a God of disorder, but he's a God of peace. I'll tell you who delights in disorder. <laughs> it's not God. Uh, the enemy of the church, who's very real, the devil, he delights in disorder. He delights in confusion. Uh, he, he delights in, in doing that because he can mess people's lives up. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 16, speaking of, of godly wisdom versus devilish wisdom. And he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. Interesting, disorder of all things and every evil practice. It doesn't mean disorder is evil. It just means that oftentimes where you've got, where you've got things that are going on that are opposed to God, you will also see disorder oftentimes. So we see that the church is ordered. We see that creation is ordered. We see that God is ordered in his very nature. And guess what? We are created in God's image. The scripture teaches this, that right from Genesis chapter 1. And so the idea there is that there's a way to live where God's order can become your order, where you can learn to do life in a much better way because God has created you in his image. So how can you do that? Some simple, simple tips from you. Again, this is just based on observing what God has done. Number one, put things in the right place. Sounds simple? How many of you spend inordinate amounts of time looking for stuff? If, if you're like me, you spend half the day looking for something. I have literally spent weeks of time looking for something. Some piece of, I think the 
Yeah, I think our technology is slipping there. Can you, behind the, the computer, plug in the video wires? Yeah, right behind the video, the HDMI adapters, it's flickering in and out. Try that. Yeah, put it back in, it's going to pop. Let's see if that works. Technology this is a very apropos system. Okay, if it doesn't, we'll go without it. It could be up there. Oh, hold your breath, everyone. It seems to be working. So on that note, put things in the right place. I mean, look at this lady. Is this you? That has been me many times. Maybe not as exaggerated, but how much time do you spend looking for things that should be in one place, but they're not, you know? Where did I put my keys? Where did I put my phone? Where did I put my wallet? Where did I put my brain? You know, I, I just don't know today. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's in my skull. Okay, I, I forgot, you know? Uh, sometimes it, it takes a long time. Well, what does that do? Does that help you live better, or does that lead to frustration? It gets you frustrated. Uh, if you put things in your, in your world in the right place, like God does, he puts everything in the right place, you'll be less stressed out, you'll be more functional. You'll be able to do what you want to do because everything has its place, right? This is the way that God operates. He puts everything in place. A, a, a sub tip for you, write it down. You take a pen, you take a paper, you write it down. Because your brain, your mind, it can hold like 10 things and that's it. And as soon as it starts getting to 11, 12, 13 things, I got to do this, I got to remember this, this, you're going to forget. Write it down. If you really like technology, put it in your, in your whatever app there, you know. But look at it when you put it in, right? If you write it down, look at your list from time to time. I've, I've done that. I've written it down, but I never look at it, so I forget it anyway. And where did I put the list anyway? <laughs> okay, so put things in the right place, write it down, and you might just find your day runs a little less stressful. Uh, because the way God has made stuff, he puts everything in the right place. T tip number two for you, make it simple. Uh, yeah, I know that sounds strange. That is a map of the internet, I believe. Okay, that's a very complex. You know, that's what the web looks like visually, the World Wide Web, and it says you are here. Well, I, I mean, you look at that and you say that's a that's a mess. You know, in in jargon, we call that a dog's breakfast. You know, that is an absolute mess. Make your system, whatever it is, make it simple. The, the simpler the order is of a given system, the more efficiently it's going to run. Uh, this past holiday season, back to a personal example, I did a couple of projects in my house. Decided to get organized, did a couple of projects, right? So, so what did I do? Well, there was this, there was this odor, uh, uh, you know, forgive me for being crude, it sounded a bit, uh, smelled a bit like rotten eggs, coming from the, the room where the hot water tank is. Little tiny room, you get some breakers on the wall, and the hot water tank is there. And there was this odor coming from this room. So what did I do? I, I went on the internet, like most of you do, probably. Say, well, you know, let's see if we can Google, you know, rotten egg smell from hot water tank. So I Googled this. 
And to my surprise, there was a lot of articles about rotten egg smell from hot water tank. And so here, here was the problem. At least I thought it was the problem. There is a little rod inside the hot water tank. It's called a sacrificial anode rod. And it's just a piece of metal. It's made out of magnesium, typically. And what happens is the rod rots before the inside of your hot water tank rots. It sacrifices itself so that you can save your tank a little longer. And so they say in these articles on the Internet that sometimes the water, if it's hard water and it has some sulfur in it, it interacts with this rod and it makes this smell of rotten eggs. So I said, ah, I've solved the problem. I'm going, and they say you need to replace your rod with a rod made of aluminum. So what do you do? You say, well, let's see if Home Depot has the rod made of aluminum, right? I can see some of the guys in here smiling already. So you run over to Home Depot for like the hundredth time, right? Whenever you go to Home Depot, it's always more than once, right? And if you get the wrong thing, you can always return it, right? So go to Home Depot, $20 aluminum rod is the right size. I measured it all. All I had to do was unscrew the rod that was already in there so I could put the new rod in. So, of course, I needed a ratchet set for that that was a certain size. I see you laughing very hard, Mary Ann. And, and so I got this ratchet, and I'm ready to pull and open this thing so that I can replace with the rod. You're still with me. Okay, so, of course, it wouldn't budge. Would not budge. So I go on the internet. How do you budge a, you know, a rod that, and it's, well, use more force, do it this way, do it that way. So, so Janet's helping me, and you know, you know, the husband and wife were trying to pull this, this rod. You know, the thing wouldn't, it would not budge. It would not budge. So, you know, and I, I always had to go in the hospital afterward. I tore something in my shoulder. You know, it was just, it was a disaster. The man of the home can't even change this silly rod. So so anyway, so I call a friend and I explain the problem to him. Rotten eggs, hot water tank room. He says, uh, have you checked the drain in the, in the room? I said, there's no drain in the room. He said, there's no drain in the room? Are you sure? So yeah, I'm sure there's no drain in the room. So he said, well, you know, I've never heard of this problem before, but I can help you to, you know, you've got the rod, we'll change the rod. So he comes over to the house, and, and of course, it took him about five seconds to, to open, the, open the thing. He says, well, I'm a little stronger, you know, and so I held the tank, you know, like this, and he pulled it, and, and he got the rod out, and, and he didn't check in the room to see if there was a drain in there. He just assumed that I was right when I gave him the answer, um, and so he, we changed the rod, and it was no smell for about 20 minutes, <laughs> and after he was gone... The smell came right back. I said, what is going on with this rod? So I called the company, the hot water tank company, asked them the question. They say, is there a drain in the room, sir? I said, no, there's no drain in the room. I mean, I know the room. There's no drain in the room. They said, well, that's a strange problem. You know, yes, you can change the rod, but it's got to be one of our rods or you lose the warranty on your hot water tank. 
you've been there before, right? So I said, well, I didn't want to tell them that it wasn't one of their rods, right? So I didn't say what rod I put in. And so, so I decided to, to get up on a chair. The room is very, very awkward. I decided to get up on a chair and look around in the room and look behind the tank. So I looked down on the floor in the corner. There's a tiny little piece of PVC pipe coming out. There's a drain in the room. All that needed to be done was to throw some cold water down the drain because the drain had dried out and this, the pea trap, as it's called, which keeps odor and rodents out, it had no water in it. And so that was the cause of the problem. But I learned about systems. I learned about putting things in the right place. And I learned that things are simple. Water is a very simple system. This is why it always runs when you turn the tap. The pressure comes into the house. You close the valve. You're holding back the pressure. You open the valve. The pressure flows. Very, very simple system. This is why it always works when you open that valve because the pressure's there. Wow, amazing, simple, simple system. Don't be like me and go to the internet and assume that you knew that there was no drain in the room. Make it simple. Whatever system that you have, make it very, very simple and it's going to work for you. And final point, order is a means to an end. It is not the end. Order is a means to the end. It is not the end. You, you have an order to serve a greater purpose, to serve a greater point. Have you ever heard of obsessive compulsive disorder? You ever heard of this problem? And this, is a, this is not a good order. This is a bad order. Uh, people who, who have OCD may be very, very well organized, but they're also very, very ill. Because that organization becomes an obsession and it enables them to cope through life just spending all their inner energies organizing stuff because there's something that needs to be avoided and it's like it, it, it's a coping mechanism and it becomes an obsession. They may be organized, but they're organized in a very, very unhealthy way. But order is to be a means to an end, not the end itself. It serves a greater purpose. Think of it this way. What is it that you want to do for God? Whatever it is. could be very, very simple. It will vary from person to person in this room. What is it that you want to do with your life? What is it that you want to do for God? Well, the order comes when you say, well, how am I going to do that? What's the way that I'm going to do what I want to do for God? That's the order. That's the system. It's because you want to do something you put a system in place, you put an order in place. I'll give you a really, really simple uh, illustration um, as we close. And maybe Simon uh, and Don, if you want to come the, to the platform, you can whenever you're ready. Uh, but I want to give you a really, really simple uh, uh, illustration. This comes out of the book that we handed out uh, on Christmas Eve, Mastering Life Before It's Too Late. I think we have a few more copies out there. And uh, you can avail yourselves uh, uh, to them on your way out if you like. And uh, this is an illustration uh, from a special operations commander. His name is Admiral William McRaven. And he's speaking to graduates at the University of Texas in Austin. 
Um, and he describes lessons that he learned from his training as a Navy SEAL. Every morning, he says, we were required to make our bed to perfection. Make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, uh, uh, tough battle-hardened Navy SEALs. But the wisdom of this simple act, he says, has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, Some of you parents have had discussions like this with your children, okay? If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you will never do the big things right. And if by chance you have had a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that's made. A bed that's made, that you made, right? And and a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. Make your bed in the morning from a trained Navy SEAL. Wonderful words of advice. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Wonderful words of advice. Maybe there are some of you who are here today And you say, my life is utter confusion. It is utter disorder because I do not know God. I do not have a relationship with God. I do not know this Jesus that you speak of and that your people sing of. I do not know him at all. And I feel strange because I seem to be among people who most know him. Uh, But I do not know him. My life is disorderly. Uh, I want to give you a chance to, to come to the person who can rearrange your life. The Lord.